Hey everyone, I'm Ryan Kalamea. And I'm Amy Gosha. Welcome to The Divorce at Altitude, a podcast on Colorado family law. Divorce is not easy. It really sucks. Trust me, I know. Besides being an experienced divorce attorney, I'm also a divorce client. Whether you are someone considering divorce or a fellow family law attorney, listen in for weekly tips and insight into topics related to divorce, co-parenting, and separation in Colorado. Hey, Amy. Hi, Ryan. What's new? Just recording our first episode of Divorce at Altitude. How do you think it's going? I mean, we're here, right? Why don't you tell everyone about our podcast and what we're doing here? First, let me explain the name. We're both divorce lawyers in Colorado. You're up in Aspen and I'm down in Denver. We wanted to share our thoughts, tips, and experience for those that may be thinking about getting a divorce, dealing with co-parenting, or already separated. Each week, we'll be focusing on a particular topic related to divorce and child custody. We'll be hosting weekly episodes and we'll feature experts throughout as well. We wanted to create a podcast for other family lawyers and individuals going through divorce or thinking about about divorce. As trial lawyers, we tell stories. Ryan, why don't you tell us a story that might resonate with someone listening to our podcast? Sure, Amy. Let's talk about Eric Wolf. Eric Wolf opens the door to his car, climbs inside, and tosses his iPhone on the passenger seat. A Starbucks cup is still sitting in the cup holder alongside a crumpled receipt. His wife, Melanie, had left them there when she borrowed his car. The sight of them makes him angry again. They'd had a fight. She seemed indifferent to the cost of the deductible and the inconvenience of using his car until hers was fixed. He had a business to run. The receipt is from one of Melanie's shopping escapades, and he wonders to himself, how can a purse cost the same as a pair of skis? Sure, he spends money, but he also works his ass off to pay for everything. He's always been a hard worker, but now his business is his sanctuary. His kids are in bed when he gets home. Melanie heads to bed with a book, and he stays up and watches the news. Sometimes he sleeps on the sofa or in the spare room. His conversations with Melanie are brief and unemotional. She doesn't complain about the time he spends away from home anymore, but he worries about the number of empty wine bottles he finds in the garage now. He starts the car and Rolling Stones come on. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try. He turns it up louder than normal, and his emotions pour into his Keith Richards' air guitar solo at the red light. Eric sighs and pulls into the parking lot of the counselor's office. He has been dreading this session, and his gut tells him it would take a miracle to fix their marriage. Still, he loves his family, and he'll try. He walks into the counselor's office, and Melanie is texting someone on her phone. Without looking up, she says, you're supposed to sit in that chair, pointing to the only other seat three feet away. Eric's temperature rises. The counselor greets Melanie and Eric as she walks in. Melanie immediately starts to rage over Eric's absences and in his indifference to their marriage and their kids. Her face is flushed and her eyes flash. He feels a mixture of guilt and satisfaction at seeing her finally show some emotion again. Still, he is concerned about how this is all affecting the kids. Melanie announces she hired a divorce lawyer earlier that day. He flinches, but he is also relieved because they have grown so far apart. Even though it is a logical step, he's also ticked off because he realizes this was all a waste of time. It looks as if he will become a failed marriage statistic. I never thought this would be me, Eric thought. After their session, everything comes to a head. His eyes well up with tears and questions reel in his head. 
How will we break this to the kids? How will our families and friends react? Are Melanie and the kids going to stay in the house? How much is it going to cost to care for them? What about their college education and activities? Who will manage the money? Where am I going to live? How will we split our property? What about my dog? Will it live with the family now? And what about my business? Can I protect it or will I have to start again? For the first time in a very long time, Eric's unsure of what to do and he's a little scared. He quickly understands that he needs help if he is to create the future he wants for himself, his kids, and his business. So Amy, does any part of Eric's story resonate with you? Absolutely. I mean, as a female, you know, I'm a divorce attorney. I never thought that I would be a divorce client, you know, and here I am. With Eric's story, you can tell that he's in a tired marriage and he doesn't know what the future looks like. And I'm doing the same thing. I'm back in Denver rebuilding my life. So I thought I would just tell everyone a little bit about myself, you know, so they know kind of where I've been, where I'm at and where I'm going. So I'm a Colorado native, as you know, Ryan, I grew up in Littleton, Colorado with my younger brother. My parents were married for about 23 years and got divorced when I was in high school. So, you know, I was a child of divorce. And I think that that's where my passion really grew into becoming, you know, a family lawyer. In college, I studied psychology and I worked at a juvenile center for girls and I would monitor them on drug court. So that's kind of where my love for the law came. I would talk to judges about how girls were doing and getting through their alternative program. And that's when I also realized that, you know, the courts can really help people too. You know, as much as they're structured, these alternative programs can really help people get to the, you know, next phase of their life. In law school, I had the opportunity to clerk for a family law judge as a young 2L. So I got to see, you know, really good attorneys, really bad attorneys, and then families coming in, litigants, you know, who are scared. And I thought that that was a great opportunity for me to help these people move on to the next stage of their lives. And Amy, what? so for those that don't know, what's a 2L? Oh, uh, it's a second, it's your second year in law school. So yeah, I mean, this lawyer jargon, we kind of forget, right, legally. But yeah, that was one difference between, I know, like, I went to DU, you went to CU. I mean, DU allowed us to, you know, do internships on Fridays. You know, I had a ton of internships during law school. And then I, out of law school, I actually was hired by the law or the judge that I interned for. And I just remember the first day that I clerked for her, just to see the gamut of what you deal with in family law. We had in the morning, we had two people come in to do a court marriage. So we had someone come in to actually get married. And by the end of the day, we had a call from a doctor for a welfare warrant on two like twins, you know, so it's like you just see the gamut of what people deal with the ups and downs of life, you know, I really saw in that snapshot, you know, in, in that in the courtroom that day. And then I was, you know, hired as a young associate in a firm in Denver family law firm. And I just really loved my time at that firm, because I just got to work on such cutting edge cases, everything from getting a divorce for a same sex couple, first probably divorce in Colorado before civil unions even were around or same sex marriage was even, you know, legal across the United States to, you know, helping, you know, parents 
change their last name. So they're, you know, kids that can be identified at school to, you know, I get, and I don't know if you have gotten this, but I, people will send me pictures of their kids. You get to know families like over the years where, you know, I helped them with their case when they're three and now they're almost, well, they're in high school. So it's pretty cool to see the progression of the families that uh, you and I help. And then, so I spent about, you know, eight years in Denver and I moved to the mountains to get married and thought I would live in the mountains probably for the rest of my life, you know, and life changes. And so I have a beautiful son who's two and moved back to Denver. And I'm really excited about building out the Denver office and, you know, getting back to my roots and family who are here. So I think, you know, my aspiration down the road, really far down the road, is to be probably a magistrate or a judge. And what really resonated with me on that is I read an article probably years ago in the New York Times, where there was a judge who, she was a family judge and she created a problem-solving court. And so I know problem-solving court is a term of art and we might get into that in one of our podcasts. But I really want to make a difference. I want to make the judicial system a friendly place for litigants and I want to help resolve problems in a creative way for families. So, you know, that's where really my passion lies in family law. How about you? How did you start out? So my story about becoming a divorce lawyer actually uh, originates from playing baseball. I played baseball in college. I spent so many hours, just countless hours practicing. Growing up in Longmont, Colorado, I knew I was at a, a pretty big disadvantage compared to other kids in California or Florida that had better climates and better kind of baseball cultures. So I knew I had to outwork people. And I put on mittens in the batting cage when it snowed and hit until my hands bled. I had a singular goal, and that was to pay, play at a Division One school. And my self-worth was completely defined by my performance. Baseball defined me as person. And that resulted in me feeling on top of the world in high school. And I led Colorado in various categories, uh, hitting. I got to play a course field. I was cocky. I was brash. And I was in for a rude awakening. When I got to UVA, I really struggled with depression. I missed the mountains. I missed my family. I missed 90 mile an hour fastballs. I missed a lot of 90 mile an hour fastballs. Uh, I realized that I wasn't that good. And it was the first time in my life that my batting average was lower than my GPA. And I started to resent what baseball was doing to me personally. It became a job. I, I'd reached my goal of playing college baseball and uh, I climbed my first mountain at the age of 21. And you know, I was wondering, now what? I started going through the motions at practice. I shut myself off from my teammates, my coaches. I felt alone, anxious, and scared. I knew the end of my career was near, but I didn't know what was going to be you know, in my future. I, I didn't know what life was like without baseball, uh, what was going to be my next kind of life mountain to climb. And I felt both relief and sadness when I walked up for my last at bat during a summer game in rural Virginia. I knew it was the last time I'd appear in front of a crowd as an athlete. I knew it was the end and I was ready. The announcer mispronounced my name like everyone else does. And I swung and hit a slow roller to the shortstop and ran down the first baseline and beat out the throw for an infield single. 
And it was a fitting way to end my career. I knew I gave everything I could to the first love of my life, which was baseball. And I could walk off the field with my held high. So after that, my transition to being a college baseball player to a trial lawyer was pretty bumpy. It wasn't really straight or an easy path. I still didn't know who I was beyond a mediocre college baseball player, backpacked all across Europe and South Africa and Southeast Asia, mostly on my own, and thought about who I wanted to be. I had to redefine myself as a person. My mom was an elementary teacher, so I tried out teaching for a year at an elite boarding school in England, but I was too intense and competitive and independent. I wanted action. I wanted to work with people going through their own self-discovery, like the period that I just kind of gone through. I wanted to return to the mountains and I wanted to build my own business. So I ultimately decided you know, to go into law and all of my clients face monumental transitions in their lives. And as a married father of two, I am a business owner. I know the fear and love, confusion that each person experiences uh, when they uh, meet with me. So that's how I kind of gravitated towards being a divorce lawyer. That transition really interests me in everyone's story about how they've come to realize that something is over and that they need to redefine themselves. That's what really drew me to uh, family law. We will be sharing some more stories, but Amy, why don't you tell us about what we're going to first address substantively and put a wrap on the show and let everyone uh, know what to expect in our upcoming episode. Yeah. So in our first substantive episode, we're going to be talking about premarital agreements, how you can create them going into marriage and how you can enforce them or essentially not enforce them going out of marriage. Well, as Kanye West rapped on the song Gold Digger, we want prenup, something they need to have. We're going to find out in our next episode, what do you need to have in order for there to be a valid premarital agreement here in Colorado? And why not just Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, but also our hypothetical divorce client, Eric Wolf, would want a premarital agreement. Then moving along and sticking with the hip hop references, Dr. Dre of the chronic fame, reportedly going through an $880 million divorce. And there's a challenge to his premarital agreement. Find out how that could be and the likelihood of success on that argument, at least here in Colorado, on a future episode of Divorce at Altitude. Hey everyone, this is Ryan again. Thank you for joining us on Divorce at Altitude. If you found our tips, insight, or discussion helpful, please tell a friend about this podcast. For show notes, additional resources, or links mentioned on today's episode, visit divorceataltitude.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen in. Many of our episodes are also posted on YouTube. You can also find Amy and me at Kalamea.law or 970-315-2365. That's K-A-L-A-M-A-Y-A dot law.